to nature, causes and means of regeneration by John Owen. A description of the state of nature necessary to a right understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. No possibility of salvation a person's living and dying in a state of sin. Deliverance from it is only by regeneration. To the description we are to give of the work of regeneration, the precedent account of the subject of it, or the state and condition of them that are to be regenerated, was necessarily to be premised. For upon the knowledge of this, a due apprehension of the nature of the work depends. In the occasion of all the mistakes and errors that have been about it, either of old or of late, has been a misunderstanding of the true state of men in their lapsed condition, or of their nature is depraved. Yea, those by whom this whole work is derided do now countenance themselves therein by their ignorance of that state, which they will not learn either from the scriptures or experience. It is an evidence of the corruption of nature that it disenables the minds of men to discern their own corruption. We have previously discharged this work so far as it is necessary to our present purpose. Many other things might be added in the explication of it, were that our direct design. Particularly, having confined myself to treat only concerning the deprivation of the mind and will, I have not insisted on that of the affections which yet is effectual to retain unregenerate men under the power of sin. Though it be far enough from truth that the whole corruption of nature consists in it, as some weakly and atheologically have imagined, much less have I treated concerning that increase and heightening of the deprivation of nature which is contracted by a custom of sinning, as to all the perverse ends of it. Yet, this also the scripture much insists upon is that which naturally and necessarily ensues in all in whom it is not prevented by the effectual transforming grace of the Spirit of God. And it is that which seals up the impossibility of their turning themselves to God. Jeremiah 13, verse 23, Romans 3, verses 10 to 19. But that the whole difficulty of conversion should arise from men's contracting a habit or custom of sinning is false, and openly contradictory to the Scriptures. These things are personal evils and befall individuals through their own default in various degrees. And we see that amongst men, under the same use of means, some are converted to God who have been deeply immersed in an habitual course of open sins, while others, kept from them by the influence of their education upon their inclinations and affections, remain unconverted. So was it of old between the publicans and harlots on the one hand, and the Pharisees on the other. But my design was only to mention that which is common to all, or that in which all men universally are equally concerned, who are partakers of the same human nature in its lapsed condition. And what we have herein declared from the Scriptures will guide us in our inquiry after the work of the Holy Spirit of grace and our deliverance from it. It is evident it needs no further confirmation that persons living and dying in this state cannot be saved. This, up until now, has been allowed by all that are called Christians, nor are we to be moved at some who call themselves so, to begin to laugh at the disease and despise the remedy of our nature. Among those who lay any serious and real claim to Christianity, 
There is nothing more certain nor more acknowledged than that there is no deliverance from a state of misery for those who are not delivered from a state of sin. And he who denies a necessary perishing of all that live and die in a state of corrupted nature denies all the use of the incarnation and mediation of the Son of God. For, if we may be saved without the renovation of our natures, there was no need nor use of the new creation of all things by Jesus Christ, which principally consists in this. And if it was possible for men to be saved under all the evils that came upon us by the fall, then Christ died in vain. Besides, it is frequently expressed that men in that state are enemies to God, alienated from him, children of wrath, under the curse, and as such may be saved, so may devils also. In brief, it is not consistent with the nature of God, his holiness, righteousness, or truth, with the law or gospel, nor possible in the nature of the thing itself that such persons should enter into or be made possessors of glory and rest with God. A deliverance, therefore, out of and from this condition is indispensably necessary to make us fit for the inheritance of the saints and light. This deliverance must be and is by regeneration or the new birth. The determination of our Savior is positive, both in this and the necessity of it before asserted in John 3, verse 3. Except a man be born again or from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whatever sense the kingdom of God is taken in, either for that of grace here or of glory hereafter, it is all the same as to our present purpose. There is no interest in it to be obtained, no participation of the benefits of it unless a man be born again, unless he be regenerate. In this determination of our Savior, as it is absolute and decretory, so it is applicable to and equally comprises every individual of mankind, and were contended by their regeneration or in being born again, which is the spiritual conversion and quickening of the souls of men is everywhere ascribed to them that shall be saved. And although men may have, through their ignorances and prejudices, false apprehensions about regeneration and the nature of it, or in what it consists, yet so far as I know, all Christians are agreed that it is a way and means of our deliverance from the state of sin, a corrupted nature, or rather our deliverance itself, for this both expressed testimonies of Scripture and the nature of the thing itself put beyond contradiction. Titus 3, verse 3 to 5. And those by whom it is exposed to scorn, who esteem it a ridiculous thing for anyone to inquire whether he is regenerate or not, will one day understand the necessity of it, although it may be not before it is too late. To obtain any advantage by it. The Holy Ghost is the immediate author and cause of this work of regeneration, and in this again, we have in general the consent of all. Nothing is more in words acknowledged than that all the elect of God are sanctified by the Holy Ghost, and this regeneration is a head, fountain, or beginning of our sanctification, virtually comprising the whole in itself as will afterward appear. However, that it is a part thereof is not to be denied. 
Besides, as I suppose, it is equally confessed to be an effect or work of grace, the actual dispensation whereof is solely in the hand of the Holy Spirit. This, I say, is in words acknowledged by all, although I do not know how some can reconcile this profession to other notions and sentiments which they declare concerning it. For setting aside what men do in this themselves and others do towards them in the ministry of the word, I cannot see what remains as they express their loose imaginations to be ascribed to the Spirit of God. But at present we will make use of this general concession that regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit, or an effect of His grace. Not that we have any need so to do, but that we may avoid contesting about those things in which men may shroud their false opinions under general ambiguous expressions, which was a constant practice of Pelagius and those who followed him of old. But the scripture is expressed in testimonies to our purpose. What our Savior calls being born again, John 3, verse 3, he calls being born of the Spirit, verses 5 and 6, because he is the sole principal efficient cause of this new birth, for it is the Spirit that gives life, that quickens. John 6, verse 63, Romans 8, verse 11. And God saves us according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5. Whereas, therefore, we are said to be born of God, or to be begotten again of his own will, John 1, verse 13, James 1, verse 18, it is with respect to the especial and peculiar operations of the Holy Spirit. The things are thus far confessed, even by the Pelagians themselves, both those of old and those at present, at least in general. Nor has any as yet been so hardy as to deny regeneration to be the work of the Holy Spirit in us, unless we must accept those deluded souls who deny both him and his work. Our sole inquiry, therefore, must be after the manner and nature of this work, for the nature of it depends on the manner of the working of the Spirit of God. In this, this I acknowledge was variously contended about of old, and the truth concerning it is scarce escaped an open opposition in any age of the church. And at present this is a great ball of contention between the Jesuits and the Jansenists, the latter keeping close to the doctrine of the principal ancient writers of the church, the former, under new notions, expressions, and distinctions, endeavoring the reinforcement of Pelagianism. Never has this doctrine with so much impudence and ignorance traduced and reviled as it is by some among ourselves. For a sort of man we have who, by stories of wandering Jews, rhetorical declamations, pert, cavillings and proud revilings of those who descend from them think to scorn and banish truth out of the world, though they never yet durst attempt to deal openly and plainly with any one argument that is pleaded in its defense and confirmation. The ancient writers of the church who looked into these things with most diligence and labored in them with most success as Augustine, Hilary, Prosper, Fulgentius, to represent the whole work of the Spirit of God towards the souls of men under certain heads or distinctions of grace, and in this were they followed by many of the more sober schoolmen and others of late without number. Frequent mention we find in them of grace as preparing, preventing, working, co-working, and confirming. 
Under these heads do they handle the whole work of our regeneration or conversion to God. And although there may be some alteration in method and ways of expression, which may be varied as they are found to be of advantage to them that are to be instructed, yet, for the substance of the doctrine, they taught the same which has been preached amongst us since the Reformation, which some have ignorantly traduced, is novel ideas. And the whole of it is nobly and elegantly amplified by Augustine in his confessions, in which he gives us the experience of the truth he had taught in his own soul. And I might follow their footsteps in this, and perhaps should for some reasons have chosen so to have done, but that there have been so many differences raised about the explanation and application of these terms and distinctions, and the declaration of the nature of the acts and effects of the Spirit of grace intended in them, is that to carry the truth through the intricate perplexities, which under these notions have been cast upon it, would be a longer work than I shall here engage in, too, and too much divert me from my principal intention. I shall therefore in general refer the whole work of the Spirit of God with respect to the regeneration of sinners under two heads. First, that which is preparatory for it, and secondly, that which is effective of it. That which is preparatory for it is the conviction of sin. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, John. 16.8. And this also may be distinctly referred to three heads. 1. A discovery of the true nature of sin by the ministry of the moral law. Romans 7. 7. Number 2. An application of that discovery made in the mind or understanding to the conscience of the sinner. Number 3. The excitation of affection suitable to that discovery and application. Acts 2 for 37. Pricked in the heart. But these things, so far as they belong to our present design, have been before insisted on. Our principal inquiry at present is after the work itself, or the nature and manner of the working of the Spirit of God in and on the souls of men in their regeneration, and this must be both negatively and positively declared. First, the work of the Spirit of God in the regeneration of sinners or the quickening of them who are dead in trespasses and sins or in their first saving conversion to God does not consist in a moral suasion only. By suasion we intend such a persuasion as may or not be effectual. So absolutely we call that only persuasion in which a man is actually persuaded. Concerning this we must consider 1. What it is that is intended by that expression and in what its efficacy consists. And number 2. Prove that the whole work of the Spirit of God and the conversion of sinners does not consist in this. And I shall handle this matter under this notion as that which is known to those who are conversant in these things from the writings of the ancient and modern theologians. For it is to no purpose to endeavor the reducing of the extravagant, confused discourses of some present writers to a certain and determinate standing of the things and difference among us, that which they seem to aim at and conclude may re be reduced to these heads. One, that God administers grace to all in the declaration of the doctrine of the law and the gospel. Number two, that the reception of this doctrine, the belief and practice of it is enforced by promises and threatenings. Number three, that the things revealed, taught, and commanded 
are not only good in themselves, but so suited to the reason and interest of mankind is that the mind cannot but be disposed and inclined to receive and obey them unless overpowered by prejudices and a course of sin. Number four, that the consideration of the promises and threatenings of the gospel is sufficient to remove these prejudices and reform that course. Number five, that upon a compliance with the doctrine of the gospel and obedience to it, men are made partakers of the Spirit with other privileges of the New Testament and have a right to all the promises of the present and future life. Now, this being a perfect system of Pelagianism, Condemned in the ancient church as absolutely exclusive of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, will be fully removed out of our way in our present discourse. Though the loose, confused expressions of some be not considered in particular, for if the work of our regeneration does not consist in moral suasion, which, as we shall see, contains all that these men will allow to grace, their whole fabric falls to the ground of its own accord. So, skipping over the arguments against moral suasion, we now move to how regeneration is accomplished. The work of the Holy Spirit, John Owen. Now, concerning this whole work, I affirm these two things. One, that the Holy Spirit makes use of it in the regeneration or conversion of all that are adult, and that either immediately in and by the preaching of it, or by some other application of light and truth to the mind derived from the word. For by the reasons, motives, and persuasive arguments which a word affords, are our minds affected, and our souls wrought upon in our conversion to God. So it becomes our reasonable obedience. And they are not ordinarily converted, but they are able to give some account by what considerations they were prevailed on to this end. But, number two, we say that the whole work, or the whole work of the Holy Ghost in our conversion, does not consist in this, but there is a real physical work in which he infuses a gracious principle of spiritual life into all that are effectually converted and really regenerated and without which there is no deliverance from the state of sin and death which we have described, which among others may be proved by the ensuing arguments. The principal arguments in this case will ensue in our proofs from the scriptures that there is a real physical work of the Spirit on the souls of men in their regeneration, that all he does consists not in this moral suasion. The ensuing reasons do sufficiently evidence this first. If the Holy Spirit work no otherwise on men in their regeneration or conversion, but by proposing to them and urging upon them reasons, arguments, and motives to that purpose, then after this whole work, and notwithstanding it, the will of man remains absolutely indifferent, whether it will admit of them or not, or whether it will convert itself to God upon them or not. For the whole of this work consists in proposing objects to the will with respect in which it is left undetermined whether it will choose and close with them or not. And indeed, this is that which some plead for, for they say that in all men, at least all to whom the gospel is preached, there is that grace present or with them that they are able to comply with the word if they please, and so believe, repent, or do any act of obedience to God according to its will. And if they will, they can refuse to make use of this assistance, aid, power, or grace. And so continue in their sins. 
What this grace is, or whence men have this power and ability by some is not declared, neither it much to be doubted, but that many imagine that it is purely natural. Only they will allow it to be called grace because it is from God who made us. Others acknowledge it to be the work or effect of grace internal, in which part of the difference lay between the Pelagians and the semi-Pelagians of old. But they all agree that it is absolutely in the power of the will of man to make use of it or not, that is, of the whole effect on them, or product in them, of this grace communicated in the way described. For notwithstanding anything wrought in us or upon us by it, the will is still left various, flexible, and undetermined. It is true that notwithstanding the grace thus administered, the will is power to refuse it to and to abide in sin, but that there is no more grace wrought in us but what may be so refused, or that the will can make use of that grace for conversion which it can refuse, is false for first. This describes the whole glory of our regeneration and conversion to ourselves, and not to the grace of God. For that act of our wills on the supposition in which we convert to God is merely an act of our own and not of the grace of God. This is evident, for if the act itself were of grace, then would it not be in the power of the will to hinder it? Number two, this would leave it absolutely uncertain. Notwithstanding the purpose of God in the purchase of Christ, whether ever anyone in the world should be converted to God or not, for when the whole work of grace is over, it is absolutely in the power of the will of man, whether it shall be effectual or not, and so absolutely uncertain, which is contrary to the covenant, promise, and oath of God unto and with Jesus Christ. Number three, it is contrary to express testimonies of Scripture, innumerable, in which actual conversion to God is ascribed to His grace as the immediate effect of it. This will further appear afterward. God works in us both the will and to do, Philippians 2, verse 13. The act, therefore, itself, of willing in our conversion is of God's operation, and although we will ourselves, yet it is he who causes us to will, by working in us to will and to do. And if the act of our will and believing in obedience, in our conversion to God, is not the effect of his grace in it, he does not work in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Secondly, this moral persuasion, however advanced or improved, and supposed to be effectual, yet confers no new real supernatural strength to the soul. For whereas it works, yea, the spirit or grace of God in it and by it, by reasons, motives, arguments, and objective considerations, and no otherwise, it is able only to excite and to draw out the strength which we have delivering the mind and affections from prejudices and other moral impediments. Real aid and internal spiritual strength neither are nor could be conferred thereby. And he who will acknowledge that there is any such internal spiritual strength communicated to us must also acknowledge that there is another work of the Spirit of God in us and upon us that can be effected by these persuasions. But thus it is in this case, as some suppose, the mind of man is affected with much ignorance and usually under the power of many prejudices, which by the corrupt course of things in the world possess it from its first actings in the state of infancy. The will and the affections likewise are vitiated with depraved habits, which by the same means are contracted. But when the gospel is proposed and preached to them, the things contained in it, 
The duties it requires, the promises it gives, are so rational, are so suited to the principles of our reason, and the subject matter of them is so good, desirable, and beautiful to an intellectual appetite, that being well conveyed to the mind, they are able to discard all the prejudices and disadvantages of a corrupt course, under which it is suffered, and prevail with the soul to desist from sin, that is, a course of sinning, and to become a new man in all virtuous conversation, and that this is in the liberty and power of the will is irrefragably proved by the sophism of Biel out of Scotus and Oakham, which contains the substance of what they plead in this cause. Yea, thus to do is so suitable to the rational principles of a well-disposed mind, that to do otherwise is the greatest folly and madness in the world. Especially will this work of conversion be unquestionably wrought if the application of these means of it be so disposed in the providence of God, as that they may be seasonable with respect to the frame and condition of the mind in which they are applied. And as the number of things are necessary to render the means of grace thus seasonable and congruous to the present frame, temper, and disposition of the mind, so in such a congruity much of its efficacy consists. And this, as it is said, is the work of the Holy Spirit and an effect of the grace of God. For if the Spirit did not by the word prevent, excite, stir up, and provoke the minds of men, did he not help and assist them? when endeavoring to turn to God in the removal of prejudices and all sorts of moral impediments, men would continue and abide as a word dead in trespasses and sins, at least their endeavors after deliverance would be weak, fruitless. This is all the grace, all the work of the Spirit of God in our regeneration and conversion, which some will acknowledge, so far as I can learn from their writings and discourses, but that there is more required thereunto I have before declared, as also it has been manifested, what is the true and proper use and efficacy of these means of grace in this work? This kind of the operation of grace, where it is solitary, that is, where it is asserted exclusively to an internal physical work of the Holy Spirit, is not suited to effect and produce a work of regeneration or conversion to God in persons who are really in that state of nature which we have before described. The most effectual persuasions cannot prevail with such men to convert themselves, any more than arguments can prevail with a blind man to see, or with a dead man to rise from the grave, or with a lame man to walk steadily. Therefore, the whole description before given from the scripture of the state of lapsed nature must be disproved and removed out of the way before disgrace can be thought to be sufficient for the regeneration and conversion of men in that state. But some proceed on other principles. Men, they say, have by nature certain notions and principles concerning God and the obedience due to him, which are demonstrable by the light of reason, and certain abilities of mind to make use of them to their proper end. But they grant, at least some of them do, that however these principles may be improved and acted by those abilities, yet they are not sufficient or will not eventually be effectual to bring men to the life of God or to enable them so to believe in him, love him, and obey him, as that they may come at length to the enjoyment of him. At least they will not do so safely and easily, but through much danger and confusion. Therefore God, out of its goodness and love to mankind, has made a further revelation of himself by Jesus Christ in the gospel, with the special way in which his anger against sin is averted, and peace made for sinners. 
which men had before only a confused apprehension and hope about. Now, the things received, proposed, and prescribed in the gospel are so good, so rational, so every way suited to the principles of our being, the nature of our intellectual constitutions, or the reason of men, and those fortified with such rational and powerful motives in the promises and threatenings of it, representing to us, on the one hand, the chiefest good which our nature is capable of, and on the other, the highest evil to be avoided, that we are liable to, that they can be refused or rejected by none, but out of a brutish love of sin or the efficacy of depraved habits contracted by a vicious course of living. And in this consists the grace of God towards men, especially as the Holy Spirit is pleased to make use of these things in the dispensation of the gospel by the ministry of the church. For when the reason of men is by these means excited so far as to cast off prejudices, and enabled by this to make a right judgment of what is proposed to it, it prevails with them to convert to God, to change their lives, and yield obedience according to the rule of the gospel that they may be saved, end quote. And no doubt this were a notable system of Christian doctrine, especially as it is by some rhetorically blended or theatrically represented in feigned stories and apologues, were it not defective in one or two things. For first, it is exclusive of a supposition of the fall of man, at least as to the deprivation of our nature, which was the result of it. And secondly, of all real effective grace dispensed by Jesus Christ, which rendered it a fantastic dream, alien and from the design and doctrine of the gospel. But it is a fond thing to discourse with men about either regeneration or conversion to God by whom these things are denied. Such a work of the Holy Spirit we must therefore inquire after, as by this the mind is effectually renewed, the heart changed, the affection sanctified, all actually and effectually, or no deliverance will be wrought, obtained, or ensue, out of the state described. For notwithstanding the utmost improvement of our minds and reasons that can be imagined, and the most imminent proposal of the truths of the gospel accompanied with the most powerful enforcements of duty and obedience, that the nature of the things themselves will afford, yet the mind of man in a state of nature without a supernatural elevation by grace is not able so to apprehend them, as that its apprehension should be spiritual, saving, or proper to the things apprehended. And notwithstanding the perception which a mind may attain to the truth of the gospel proposals, and a conviction it may have of the necessity of obedience, yet is not the will able to apply itself to any spiritual act of it without an ability wrought immediately in it by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, or rather unless the Spirit of God by his grace do effect the act of willing in it. Therefore, not to multiply arguments, we conclude that the most effectual use of outward means alone is not all the grace that is necessary to, nor all that is actually put forth in the regeneration of the souls of men. Having thus evidenced in what the work of the Holy Spirit and the regeneration of souls of men consists, namely in a supposed congruous persuasion of their minds where it is alone, secondly, I shall proceed to show wherein it does consist, and what is the true nature of it. And to this purpose I say, one, whatever efficacy, the moral operation which accompanies or is the effect of the preaching of the word is blessed and used by the Holy Spirit, is of, or may be supposed to be of, or is possible that it should be of, in and towards them that are 
unregenerate, we do willingly ascribe to it. We grant. Did in the work of regeneration the Holy Spirit towards those that are adult makes use of the word, both the law and the gospel, and the ministry of the church and the dispensation of it, as the ordinary means of it. Yea, this is ordinarily the whole external means that is made use of in this work, and efficacy proper to its accompanied with. Whereas therefore some contend that there is no more needful to the conversion of sinners but the preaching of the word to them, who are congruously disposed to receive it, and that the whole of the grace of God consists in the effectual application of it to the minds and affections of men in which they are enabled to comply with it, and to turn to God by faith and repentance, they do not ascribe a greater power to the word than we do, by whom this administration of it is denied to be the total cause of conversion, for we assign the same power to the word as they do. And more also only, we affirm that there is an effect to be wrought in this work, which all this power, if alone, is insufficient for. But in its own kind, it is sufficient and effectual, so far as that effect of regeneration or conversion to God is ascribed to this. This we have before declared. Number two, there is not only a moral, but a physical, immediate operation of the Spirit by His power and grace or his powerful grace upon the minds or souls of men in their regeneration. This is that which we must cleave to, or all the glory of God's grace is lost, and the grace administered by Christ neglected. So it is asserted in Ephesians 1, 18-20, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power here mentioned has an exceeding greatness ascribed to it with respect to the effect produced by it. The power of God in itself is, as to all acts, equally infinite. He is omnipotent, but some effects are greater than others and carry in them more than ordinary impressions of it, such as that here intended, in which God makes men to be believers and preserves them when they are so. And to this power of God there is an actual operation or efficiency ascribed, the working of his mighty power. And the nature of this operation or efficiency is declared to be of the same kind with that which was exerted in the raising of Christ from the dead. And this is by a real physical efficiency of divine power. This, therefore, is here testified, that the work of God towards believers, either to make them so, or preserve them such, for all is one as to our present purpose consists in the acting of his divine power by a real internal efficiency. So God is said to fulfill in us all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, Second Thessalonians 1, 11, 2 Peter 1, 3. And so the work of grace and conversion is constantly expressed by words denoting a real internal efficiency, such as creating, quickening, forming, given a new heart. Wherever this word is spoken with respect to an active efficiency, it is ascribed to God. He creates us anew. He quickens us. He begets us of his own will. But where it is spoken with respect to us, or it is passively expressed, we are created in Christ Jesus. We are new creatures. We are born again and the like which one observation is sufficient to evert the whole hypothesis of Arminian grace, 
Unless a work wrought by power and not real and immediate be intended in this, such a work may neither be supposed possible nor can be expressed. Therefore, it is plain in the Bible that the Spirit of God works internally, immediately, efficiently, in and upon the minds of men in their regeneration. The new birth is the effect of an act of his power and grace. For no man is born again, but it is by the inward efficiency of the Spirit. This internal efficiency of the Holy Spirit on the minds of men as to the event is infallible, victorious, irresistible, and always efficacious. But in this assertion we suppose that the measure of the efficacy of grace and the end to be attained are fixed by the will of God. As to that end in which of God it is designed, it is always prevalent or effectual and cannot be resisted, or it will effectually work what God designs it to work. For wherein he will work, none shall let him, and who has resisted his will. There are many notions of grace, even in the hearts of believers, which are thus far resisted as that they attain not the effect which in their own nature they have a tendency to, were it otherwise all believers would be perfect. But it is manifest in experience that we do not always answer the inclinations of grace, at least as to the degree which it moves towards. But yet, even such motions also, if they are of and from saving grace, are effectual so far and for all those ends which they are designed to in the purpose of God. For his will shall not be frustrated in any instance. And where any work of grace is not effectual, God never intended it should be so, nor did put forth that power of grace which is necessary to make it so. Therefore, in and towards Whoever the Holy Spirit puts forth his power or acts as grace for their regeneration, he removes all obstacles, overcomes all oppositions, and infallibly produces the desired effect. This proposition being of great importance to the glory of God's grace and most signally opposed by the patrons of corrupted nature and man's free will in the state of it, must be both explained and confirmed. We say, therefore, the power which the Holy Spirit puts forth in our regeneration is such in its acting or exercise, as her mind's wills and affections are suited to be wrought upon and to be affected by it, according to their natures and natural operations. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned. Draw me, and I will run after you. He does not act in them any otherwise than they themselves are fit to be moved and move, to be acted and act, according to their own nature, power, and ability. He draws us with the cords of a man, and the work itself is expressed by persuading. God shall persuade Japheth, and alluring. I will allure her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. For as it is certainly effectual, so it carries no more repugnancy to our faculties than a prevalent persuasion does. So that number two, he does not in our regeneration possess the mind with any enthusiastical impressions nor act absolutely upon us as he did in extraordinary prophetical inspirations of old, where the minds and organs of the bodies of men were merely passive instruments moved by him above their own natural capacity and activity, not only as to the principle of working, but as to the manner of operation. But he works on the minds of men, and then by their own natural acting, through an immediate influence, an impression of his power, created me a clean heart, O God. He works both to will and to do.